So our passage this morning comes from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 33, verses 1 to 18. So you can grab a Bible at the back there on the um, bookshelf. Just remember to leave it there when you are done. So book of Jeremiah, chapter 33, I think it's on, on the small church Bible, is on page 713, um, if I remember correctly when I looked at it earlier. So the book of Jeremiah chapter 33, verses 1 to 18. And it reads, While Jeremiah was still confined in the courtyard of the God, the word of the Lord came to him a second time. This is what the Lord says. He who made the earth the Lord who formed it and established it, the Lord is his name. Call to me, and I will answer you, and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says about the houses in this, in this city and the royal palaces of Judah that have been torn down to be used against against the siege ramps and the sword in the fights with the Babylonians. They will be filled with the dead bodies of the people I will slay in my anger and wrath. I will hide my face from this city because of all its wickedness. Nevertheless, I will bring health and healing to it. I will heal my people and will let them enjoy abundant peace and security. I will bring Judah and Israel back from captivity and will rebuild them as they were before. I will cleanse them from all the sins that they have committed against me and I will forgive all their sins of rebellion against me. Then this city will bring me renown joy, praise, and honor before all the nations on earth that hear all the, of all the good things I do for it. And they will be in awe and will tremble at the abundant prosperity and peace I provide for it. This is what the Lord says. You say about this place, it is a desolate waste, without people or animals. Yet in the towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are deserted, inhabited, that are inhabited by neither people nor animals, there will be heard once more the sound of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, and the voices of those who bring thanks offering to the house of the Lord, saying, Give thanks to the Lord Almighty, for the Lord is good. His love endures forever. For I will restore the fortunes of the land as they were before, says the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In this place, desolate and without people or animals, in all its towns there will again be pastures for shepherds to rest their flocks, in the towns of the hill country, 
of the western foothills of Negev, of the territory of Benjamin, in the villages around Jerusalem and in the towns of Judah, flocks will again pass under the hand of the one who counts them, says the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called, the Lord our righteous Savior. For this is what the Lord says, David will never fail to have a man sit on the throne of Israel, nor will the Levitical priests ever fail to have a man to stand before me continually to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to present sacrifices. So, last week, Thursday, we heard that another uh, mutation of the COVID-19 virus has been found in South Africa. And I'm sure, like myself, a lot of you are anxious to find more information about the virus itself. It may be a reason why some people are not here this morning. Some of us are anxious, are tired, that perhaps another lockdown could be in the cards. I don't know about you, but I feel emotionally exhausted by COVID and everything. I feel uh, tired of the masks, the hand sanitizers at the mall. You will be sanitized five or six times before you exit. I feel tired and exhausted by the constant threats to life of myself, friends, and family. I feel tired of living in uncertainty about the future. This is why the Advent has come at an opportune time for me personally as a believer. For those of you who don't know what Advent is, the word Advent comes from the Latin ad Adventus, which, meaning, which means coming or arrival. It is an opportunity for Christians to look back at the long foretold first coming of the Messiah and in return to learn to look forward for his coming. It was a, 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 a period which has been celebrated by believers four Sundays before Christmas to help Christians to look back at the promises that we find in the Old Testament of the Messiah who is coming. In, in helping them do that, is to also help them to look forward, to look forward to the second coming of Christ, the one who will come to bring rescue from the wickedness that is found in the world. So traditionally in the Anglican uh, church, which we are part of, uh, as Christ the liturgy would begin the week by, 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 by emphasizing readings that have to do with the hope 
that is coming. The hope of the Messiah. You are meant to, as you read these passages, to put yourselves in the uh, minds, in the place of the Israelites who looked forward to the coming Messiah. You are meant to anticipate him as they did. You are meant to rejoice at, in, at, at his incarnation as they did. So we'll do that here as the church. We begin our passage with a passage about hope in the book of Jeremiah to have us to help us to walk the path that the Israelites did. Hope is difficult to understand for us if you don't understand hopelessness or desperation. Hope is difficult to understand for, for someone who has everything that they desire. For someone who is uh, infinitely happy, it's difficult to understand. But hope is easier to understand in a situation of difficulty. Hope is what we have, or at least what I have, that the strain of this virus that has been named is not deadlier than others. Because we are in a desperate situation. Hope is what a mother has as they nurse their child who is unwell from flu or whatever. Hope is what family members have as they sit next to their loved ones in hospital praying that they would indeed recover. Hope is what we have when we are unemployed and applying to 20, 30 jobs that day. We understand hope because we understand difficulty. Difficulty calls us to long for and pray for something better. We say that difficulty uh, as the basis of the hopelessness of the Israelites. That's my first point in uh, Jeremiah 33. Well, let's see the hopelessness of the situation. This is 1 to 5. We see Jeremiah, he is confined to, uh, to a prison in the courtyard because of the message that he has been preaching to the people of Israel. At a time when people have turned away from God, don't want anything to do with God, they've decided to do what they want. Instead of trusting God for protection, the rulers, some of them have gone to Egypt for assistance. Imagine that. They've gone to Egypt where God had rescued them. They've entrusted their former oppressors for, for, for protection. Jeremiah comes and he preaches a very unpopular message. He says, turn back to the Lord. Trust in him. Accept the judgment that is coming through these Babylonians. And trust in him. He is put in prison for his message. So you find in 33, he is confined to the courtyard of the guard. The word of God comes to him. 
as they are busy now the city is under siege they are being um, overcome by the Babylonians who have come to take them to exile here's a message that comes from Jeremiah's lips verses 3 he says the Lord says call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know at this time of desperation God is calling upon them call to me at a time where they decided to do their own thing not calling on God for rescue God was still offering a hand saying come to me call to me and I will answer and the prophecy begins in verses 4 where it says this is what the Lord says about you the God of Israel says you who are in Judah who are in the palaces who have torn their uh, who have torn palaces down basically because you're trying to defend yourself from the siege because of the threats that you see coming the message is you will be judged by God in verse 5 in this fight with the Babylonians Jeremiah says you will not succeed you will not be successful why because God is the one who is punishing verses 5 they will be filled with dead bodies and I will slay in my anger and wrath I will hide my face from this city because of all its wickedness so this um, siege this attack by the Babylonians is God's punishment for the wickedness that is found in the city Jeremiah comes and preaches judgment to the people of God. A hopeless situation. A desperate situation where they are told that your, your sons and daughters will die in this. Your attempts, your feeble attempts to try and protect yourselves will not work because it is the hand of God that has come against you for sin. It is God himself punishing those who deserve to be punished. So their situation in verses 1 to 5 seems hopeless. But even in this, we see that there is hope. There is hope for salvation. That their um, uh, punishment will not be forever. Verses 6 to 9. Verse 6 to get, it says, Nevertheless, however, but, in spite of all of what is happening, verses 6, nevertheless, I will bring help and healing to it. I will heal my people and let them enjoy abundant peace and security. I will bring Judah and Israel back from captivity and I will rebuild them 
as they were before. I will cleanse them from all the sins that they have committed against me, and I will forgive all their sins of rebellion against me. As they are about to be attacked, sieged, taken to exile, as we have seen uh, in Ezra and Nehemiah, even right then, God gives them hope. He tells them, yes, you are going to be attacked. Yes, you are being punished. But this punishment is not forever. I will bring you back into the land and you will rebuild. We have seen that in Ezra and Nehemiah as they are brought back by um, Cyrus to rebuild the temple first. And as they come back again with Nehemiah to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, second, God had promised this. He had given them hope even as they went into a difficult situation of being taken away to a land that was not their own. He gave them hope and says, A time will come in which I will bring you back into the land. Their punishment, here the the image being given, is like an amputation of of an unhealthy leg in the body so that the body may survive. Notice the beginning, uh, verses 6 and 7. I will bring back health and healing to it. I will heal my people, verses 7. Verses Verses 8, I will cleanse them from all their sins that they have committed. There is something happening with the Israelites. There is something in them, like a sickness that needs to be cleansed by this punishment. Jeremiah speaks of a time in which this will be done. This disease will be removed. This disease of wickedness will be removed in them. If you know Jeremiah in 31, you have seen that Jeremiah has actually uh, said this before. But he has said it in a different way in 31 verse 33. Where he is spoken about, uh, uh, yes, punishment is coming, but a time will come in which God will write his laws in their hearts so that they do not sin against God anymore. Again in verses, in, in chapter 36, he speaks of this healing as a removal of that heart of stone with an implant of a heart of flesh. A removal of a rebellious spirit and a, an implantation of the spirit of God in them. So even as they go into exile, they have these words of comfort as they suffer in a land that is not their own, they know that this will come to an end. This book was meant to give them comfort in a difficult situation. Yes, to let them know that they have sinned against God. But to also tell them that God 
will not hold his anger forever against them. The time will come in which he will heal. He will give them new hearts. He will write his laws within them. But what we see in Jeremiah 33 is that they need more than the removal of hearts. They need more than mere healing the forgiveness of sins. We see that in the, in the Old Testament throughout, as the people of God sin, they get punished. And they sin again, they get punished. As they want a king, God gives them a king. And you see that king uh, does not become a perfect person. David sins. Uh, Solomon sins. In fact, all of their kings are imperfect people. So in Jeremiah, what we see here is that something more needs to be done here. There is a longing in Jeremiah for more than just forgiveness. Because who knows if they're not going to go back to the same patterns. Who knows if they're not going to be misled by their rulers. So they need more. And I want to assert here, and Jeremiah does the same thing, that they need a person. They need a better king. They need a better priest. And we say this from verses 10 to 18. But we're going to focus together in verses 15 to the end then. He speaks of this time in which these people will be forgiven and that those people who have, who have laughed as they saw the, uh, the nation of Israel desolate and almost destroyed by the Babylonians. You see, God will return all of their fortunes onto the land. Those of you, those who were outside who were laughing at the nations, uh, laughing at, uh, at Israel for being like a desert with no people or animal will again be in awe of the saving work of God. These days are coming, which is 14, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. What is the promise that he has made? He has said to them that in those days, and at at that time, I will make a righteous branch from David's line. And he will do what is just and right in the land. So he, there's going to be a, a lineage that will come from the line of David, so from David's family, that will be different from the other kings. That will be different from all the kings, whether David or Solomon, or any king that came after. Because they, like, unlike any of them, will do what is just and right in the land. And in those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. So there's a promise of this individual, a better king, a king who will do what is just and right 
A king who will not do what is right in his sight, but who will seek to please God. But will it be a human king? Because we've seen human beings. We've seen uh, in, in, in Israel how they failed. We see that this will not be a ordinary king. Verses 16 there in the second portion. This is the name by which it will be called. This branch. He will be called the Lord our righteous Savior. The, the, the word Lord in the Old Testament is not used lightly. Especially in your English translation where you have the capital uh, Lord with all the words capitalized. It's a reference there to, uh, to, to, to Elohim, to God. In our English Bibles, to signify that they always put it capitalized because of the Israelites' reverence of the name itself. The name was so revered by the nation of Israel that when they wrote it, the legend says that if you are, if you are translating a Bible and you write the name Lord or Elohim, you would stop using that um, pen, whatever you are writing with. And use another, because that is written a holy name of God. So this is not used likely by by Israelites. This one will be called the Lord, that is God, our righteous Savior. That He will not be like the other kings. He will be righteous. He will do what is right and. Um, just in the land. So in a way, he will be unique, he will be divine, and he will be perfect in what he does. And he will come to save his people and do not lead them in a way that condemns them to judgment. That's the first thing. He will be a better king because he will be a divine king. The second thing we see from verses 17 is that he will be a better Levite. He will be a better priest. Verses 17, we see that um, the Lord says, David will never fail to have a man sit on the throne of Israel, so therefore his rule will be forever. But also, nor will the Levitical priest and I failed to have a man to stand before me continually to make burnt offerings and to burn offerings and to present sacrifices. At this time when the Israelites are going to be taken to exile, obviously they will not be priests uh, standing at the temple making sacrifices for people's sins. But a time will come in which we will have an eternal priest who will always be before God to make of sacrifices for the sins of the people. The time will come in which the Israelites will have an eternal king who will sit at the throne of God. The time will come in which 
will always have a priest before God. The role of the priest is to stand before God and plead on behalf of the people. So on this first Sunday of Lent, we are meant to hope like Israel that we have this priest, we have this eternal king who stands who stands eternally before God interceding on our behalf. We have this king that uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 1 says is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. We have this high priest who made a sacrifice once and for all that you and I who trust in him would never fail to have someone who is interceding on our behalf. But when you and I pray, we can say we pray all of this in Jesus' name because we know that he is right there before God the Father saying, these people don't deserve your grace. But on the basis of my sacrifice at the cross for them, please forgive them. We have one who is before God who eternally rules. One who can call us to say, live like this and ask for our obedience because he rules eternally. The one whom you and I, can, I hope will be willing to sacrifice our lives for because instead of, obeying, of disobeying him we would rather die than do that because we know that even in death we die in him to rise like he did. So in this time of anxiety, Jeremiah offers hope, a hope that we should turn to God, we should trust in him. We should not be like the Israelites who do not call upon God in times of desperation, but entrench themselves in disobedience. This uncertain time, this uncertain Christmas holiday, so uncertain week until we know more about the virus. This uncertain um, period of travel to friends and family in different provinces as we drive with people who are at times not responsible on the road. We trust in God. We remember that our lives are in him. And we also, we pray for his coming, his second coming. That he would come to indeed rescue us from the wickedness that is found in the world. So my prayer this morning is that you would be encouraged as we begin Lent this week. To live in hope to live in hope and uh, prayer for his coming, and to live in praise 
of the one who has come that you, that you and I may go before God knowing that we have a priest who continuously intercedes on our behalf. Let's pray and ask God to help us with that. Heavenly Father, indeed we praise you for the death of your Son, Jesus Christ, at the cross for us. We pray that indeed you would help us to live in hope, to live in, uh, in hope of his coming, to cast our anxieties on him, on the one who cares for us and loves us. We pray and ask all of this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is there interceding on our behalf. Amen. We are going to sing um, our last song together.